Radio TFS, podcast number six, Team Foundation Server, Service Pack 1. I'm Mickey Gousset. I'm joined today by Martin Woodward and Paul Hacker. Paul, how are you doing? Doing well, Mickey. Good to hear it from you again. Martin, hi, hi, how are you doing? Very good, thanks. Very busy. Been uh, been playing a lot with Service Pack 1, which we're going to talk about today. So, uh, yeah, all good. Before we jump into our topic, let's do what we normally do, which is just kind of get caught up on stuff that people are doing or conferences they're headed to or just other team system related or other information they want to share. Go with it first, Paul. What you got? Well, I don't have a lot on my calendar. I'm actually taking a little bit of time off for some personal reasons, but um, I'm just coming off the heels of a fantastic summit. I've been um, an MVP in different categories over the, the past five years, and this has got to be the, the best summit I'm just coming off of. I mean, it was just days full of uh, you know great um, collaboration with fellow MVPs and with the product team in an information overload. And uh and they came away with some some great goodies for us, and I can't just say enough about the summit itself. So really, that's where my focus was for basically for April. Now for May, like I say, I pretty much kind of tapered things off for the month, um, but I did put out a new newsletter. So tfstimes.com has a new mo- newsletter come that came out for June. So that's pretty much all I've been doing, kind of just laying low. What about yourself, Martin? Mostly looking at Service Pack 1 work, uh, making sure Team Prize works fine with uh, Service Pack 1 of Team Foundation Server. Also been playing um, with the April CTP of Rosario that was uh, made publicly available around about the summit time, I think. Um, So yeah, been playing with that and taking out out for a drive, seeing what I think, giving some feedback. What about yourself, Mickey? Well... I went to the same MVP, MVP summit that Paul did, and I agree it was it was a, it was a great time. I've been trying to get ready for TechEd because I'm speaking on web testing at TechEd, and I'm, I know when I'm speaking. I'm speaking on a Thursday, so now I'm just trying to make sure my content and everything else is is up to par. So it's going to be stuff people are interested in and stuff that I know what the heck I'm talking about. But I'm definitely looking forward to that. There's a couple of good parties at TechEd that you should definitely come to if you're coming to TechEd. One of them is a duck party. If you want more information about that, you can hit Team System Rocks, and there's a web post to it. Um, two other things I want to mention is that my wife and I just got done with the Tupelo Community Theater production of Gypsy, where she had the lead ro- the lead female role and I had the lead male role. So that was that was really kind of fun to be able to do a to do a musical with her. And the other thing I've noticed that I want to point out to all our listeners out there is that Rob Karen put out a blog post a couple of days ago from the recording of this webcast where he was basically saying that he's been blogging for four years, but you know he's kind of moved away from the team system realm, and he doesn't really have a beat to cover, so he can't decide whether he should stop blogging or not. Ugh. And I'm, I'm a good friend of, of – or he's my good friend at any rate – and I've known him for several years, and Rob has some great insight on a lot of different things. So if you want to go hit his blog, which is at blogs.msdn.com slash robkaren, and leave him a, a blog, a note or a comment saying, hey, we want you to keep blogging, I really think you should because he's got a lot of great ideas and just a lot of great insight into things. And I'd hate to, to for all of us in the blogosphere in general to miss out on that. I totally agree. I um, I mean, the the well, when Rob was you know the team system nexus, that was a good mission for him and stuff. The posts that I enjoyed the most were always posts about things he found interesting that weren't actually related to team system, you know. And it's actually Rob's fault that I work for Team Prize now. Um, I I was reading, I was you know working on team system, reading Rob's blog for team system stuff, and then he posted um a blog post about um 
the guy who's now my boss, how he had, how he had a Mac mini stole at an airport. And it was you know quite a funny post and things. And then I ended up reading my boss's blog. And then my boss then posted, Hey, we were recruiting. So I sent him an email and said, Hey, you know, I'll have a, I'd love a job with you. And that that's why I work for team prizes because of Rob Karen. So please Rob, keep blogging. And I, he's the, he's the reason team system rocks exists. So yes, I, I, I second what Martin says. Definitely keep blogging. All right. Well, then why don't we hop on into today's topic, which is Team Foundation Server Servers Pack 1, or at least the preview that's out. It's not been officially released. It's just a preview that's currently been released. And Martin, I'll turn it over to, to, to you and let you, let you start running with this, and then Paul and I can jump in as we want to. Cool. Well, the, the first thing to, to say is, this is a preview. It's a beta. Don't don't go installing this on a production machine. You know, the, the, there are many known issues uh, around it and conflicts it might have with things. So, uh, yeah, please, 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 don't. You know, while there's lots of cool stuff in it, don't install it on a production box just yet. Just install it inside virtual PCs and have a play with it. Uh, so that's the warnings up front. But um, yeah, should, should we talk about some of the stuff that's cool? So um, if you go to uh, shrinkster.com slash YBS, Yankee Bravo Sierra. That's um, Brian Harry's got a, a blog post up where he basically, it's kind of like the release notes for for, for Service Pack 1. It uh, you know, goes through um, all different areas and talk about some of the features that we've added. And um, they've added features everywhere, basically. Uh, in terms of usability, one of the fantastic things is that... Um, They've added quite a lot of usability improvements that that you know that are in Rosario. They've they've brought them into Service Pack One of two thousand eight, which is just great. It's nice that they do that. <laughs> you know, we don't have to wait. It's so I'm happy about this. First up, um, they've they've done lots of changes around adding files to source control. Um, they've got a new dialogue, which is you know interesting enough and it, it is more usable. But um, you can also the cool thing is you can just drag and drop folders. Um, for Windows Explorer into the Source Control Explorer in Visual Studio. So if I do this, does that mean that, like before, when I wanted to add things to Source Control, I had to make sure I copied those files over into a mapped workspace? If if Does that mean that it's it's I don't have to do that anymore, or does it actually copy the files into... I don't understand how this works. Yeah, no, right? it... it um, it will map the working folder for you that it needs to map so, to be able so, to add that stuff in. Okay, so it, it doesn't actually move them into uh, a, a already mapped folder. It's just gonna it's just gonna automatically map the folder for me, so it's saving me a couple of steps. Okay. Yeah, and um, the reason it can do that in, in two thousand and eight, the um, they made there were lots of like restrictions around what you could and couldn't have. Um, you know how you could have your working folder mapping set up. Um, there were loads of restrictions around there. A lot of them have gone now. Basically, the um, it took the attitude that they'll they'll give you enough rope so you can shoot yourself. You know, enough rope so you can shoot yourself. Enough rope so you can hang yourself <laughs> if you want to. But it it just makes it a lot more flexible and people can do more what they want to do. You know what I mean? So uh, so yeah, so that's cool. It makes it so much easier just to drag and drop stuff in. And on on that in that um, frame as well, they've also. Um, you know when you were editing, uh, say if you were editing a file, like the tfsbuild.proj file, or you know some some file out of source control, and you had it somewhere locally, but it wasn't bound in a solution, but you just double-clicked on it in Source Control Explorer, and it popped it up in a nice editor inside of Visual Studio, and then you edit it, 
you go to save it and it says this file is read only and oh and you have to go and check yes. it out from yeah 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 you don't have to do that anymore <laughs> they fixed that so now oh, every single editor yeah this is so this saves so much time all the editors now you can just start typing it'll check the file out for you oh that would be that that would be my one reason for upgrading to sp1 right there yeah, because yep. I can't I can't tell you how many times I've I've gone to edit a file that's been in, in version control and doesn't since it's not automatically checked out when you start making changes. Oh, that's just annoying. And, and jumping jumping around a bit that 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 leads me to we've added a little feature in the build area so you can right click on a build definition and you can say view build configuration folder and that will take you to the folder in source control that contains all the files related to the build, you know, the TFS build.proj file and the RSP file and stuff. So now, um, now wait, I have to ask you, haven't I seen that somewhere else? <laughs> yeah, we, we did have that in team prize first. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's, a, it's about time some features went that way. You know, there's plenty of features we've stolen from Microsoft. So uh, I'm, I'm quite happy. That's actually a feature I can point to and say that was my idea. So I, I added that into Team Prize because um, it was just boring me so much that it was taking a long time to find the build configuration. Especially now in 2008, you can store those build configurations anywhere in Source Control. So it's just hard work. But now you can just right-click and do it, and it's great. And you can, uh, and what's even better, they've got one step further because they've got this ability inside of Visual Studio. So you can just double-click and edit. You just right-click, view build configuration, double-click, it brings it up inside the IDE, start typing, it checks it out. It's just so easy. Uh, so, yep, makes things a lot more productive. We talked a little bit about round working folder mappings there. Again, this was another feature that we had in TeamPrize, I should mention. But we, um, if you're on a, a folder inside of Source Control Explorer, you can just right-click and say Map, and you can and you know do a working folder mapping right there and then. You don't have to um, you don't have to go into the Source Control Workspaces blah 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 route. You can just say right-click Map, and then and then here's the improvement that I really like. Um, you can just type a path rather than having to browse the file system to, to get to the path. You can just type one. And you can if you type a folder that doesn't exist on your computer, then it'll create it for you. So uh, oh, a common work... That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, a common workflow for me, especially when I'm, if I'm doing lots of testing or if I just want to pull some stuff down, I'll like right-click on a folder and say map. And then um, in the where do you want it, I'll do like C colon temp slash random string you know what i mean i just want it somewhere because i'm going to get rid of it in a minute i just want it want it locally to play with it so um yeah you can just type a path in and it'll it'll go do it it's great i also see they added a check-in date time column that's awfully nice finally they've gotten that in there yeah yeah i I don't know if you guys have ever struggled with that one but i've struggled with that one myself and that's where you've always just had to right click and do a view history to 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 be able to see that information. So having that information up there is nice. I wish it was more configurable where I could add other columns, which I've noticed that they don't have that at this point. But yeah, right. at least I think, I think maybe they'll different. get there someday. One of the things that I've heard people asking for is is other is other file metadata, you know, pro, other properties to do with the files and be able to see that in in this view. Since the last time we recorded a podcast, they've been publishing some specs for Rosario, features that are going to go into Rosario. And one right. of the features they've published a spec for is the um, is the properties system. So they're building a metadata properties system into Team Foundation Service so that TFS can store metadata about all, lots of different files. That's definitely one to hopefully in the future there'll be more stuff we can get here. Those types of fields there, that type of stuff is great for the folks that are doing um, 
any kind of expensability or add-ins or, in your case, Martin, even with the team price stuff where you're wanting to access that, that version control, all that metadata is great for that type of stuff. And, and it's just going to make life easier for those folks that are trying to do that stuff, you know. Um, yeah, the, right the properties, the, so the property spec, um, you can go and see it at shrinks.com slash YBV, so Yankee Bravo Victor. Um, and that's the property spec. I mean, one of the main, one of the big reasons for adding it in was to enable um, Team Prize customers because uh, one of the big things we need to store is um, on Unix file systems. You know, you have you have say the execute permission, so you can say this file you want it to be executable. It's, it's a shell script you want it to be executable, and so uh, we can now. We, currently, we have a bit of a hack how we how we do that, but it means we'll be able to store that against the individual files and say this shell script is executable. And so that way, when you check out, if you do a get latest onto a Unix system, um, it'll have all the permissions set up properly as is needed for that for that file system. So, one of the one of the driving use cases for properties was to enable cross-platform use. So it's just nice there to give the team some you know some props that they actually do. Uh, though it is a Microsoft product, they do listen to the needs of non-Microsoft developers. You know, which is nice. Yeah, that is nice. And that also is. Um Leads me into another one here, which is download files to a stream. Now, I don't know if you guys have done anything, but I've built a tool, pre-migration toolkit, that actually allows me to migrate one team project from one server to any other server. Okay, and it includes all the work items and all the areas and iterations and history and all that stuff, the source and everything. So users, everything. So, But one of the things I always had to do when I was working with them is I actually had to download the work items or files to a temp directory, and then I had to work with them, and then I had to go back and do some cleanup. Mm. Um, where here, this they have this thing called download files to a stream. That allows me now to just download that into memory and then work with the contents in memory and then dispose of it when I'm done with it. And I don't have to take up any space. I don't have to worry about doing any kind of cleanup or anything like that, which is, again, another great extensibility point because um, and they even make mention to it that you know they expect that people are going to take advantage of that for creating some really neat power tools. So that's another one of those things that I think from the developer end um, and extensibility would be really cool to, to play with. And I don't know, has anybody, have you played with that at all, Martin? Or has um, anybody ever ran into yeah, that no, trouble? Yeah, I mean, we we, we, uh, we actually built that into the, again, I hate to say things say this all the time. We built that into the TeamPrize API um, right, right away because... Um, uh, we needed, you know, when you're doing file compare and things, it's so much easier to just be able to download it as a stream and handle all that as the file is coming down. It's much more performant than having to wait for the whole file to come down and then start comparing, you know. So, uh, right, right. so yeah, so it's really, really good. Um, and hopefully things like Annotate and stuff might use it, but, you know, and, and there'll be other power tools, power toys that use it. There's a couple of other little tweaks, um, you know, in that um, in the source location bit, you know, in the, in the top of the um, in the top of the source control explorer, you've got a bit which tells you the path in the repository. In source pack one, you can now click in there and and start typing and just go to somewhere that you want to go to. You don't have to browse anymore. Again, this is just little things that power users will find and enjoy. And then the right. final one that I like is the um, around source control is that you can just click on the uh, you can just click on the local path at the top of the um, Source Control Explorer, and it'll open it up inside of Windows Explorer. So uh, that's really neat. Right. And again, saves a lot of time. So uh, again, a, a typical workflow: you might want to, um, you know, open that path inside of uh, Windows Explorer, 
and then say create a new file into it or copy a file into it and then drag and drop that into Source Control Explorer and that will pen the ads for you. It just makes just makes it so much easier. So um, yeah, that's probably about Source Control wrapped up. I'm just having a quick look now at Brian's post to see if there's anything I've missed. Probably not, not nothing too interesting. So um, uh, how about we talk about work I'm tracking? Sounds good. Yeah, there, I don't know that there's that much that's been changed there. Well, but there's I do, not much I, in Brian's... Go on, sorry, Mickey. Oh, no, I was just going to say, there's not much that looks like it's been changed. I mean, I like the fact that they, they've they updated it for ribbon support in 2007, so that, I I mean, at least it's got its own little little ribbon tab now and, and looks better than, than what was there. Mm-hmm. So, and I think people will like the, the, the being able to more easily email work items, but that's about the major changes it looks like. Yeah, well, that email work item is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's well, that's where you can make it so you can email the work items easier. But one of the things I haven't had a chance to test yet is um, is installing web access onto the same Team Foundation server instance. Because apparently, when you do that now, uh, TFS knows, and so that links that are generated are no longer links to you know you get that that nasty like read only view of a work item which just doesn't look very good. The the links it'll send out if you've installed web access automatically. Uh, become uh, links to web access, so you can actually edit the work item from the link you send out, which is really oh, neat. that's cool. Uh huh. Right, yeah, that, that's that, cool. That goes throughout <laughs> the whole thing, so that's in like notifications and stuff like that as well. So, um, so in order for that to work, Martin, do you need to install Service Pack One before you install Web Access, or can, when you install Service Pack One, will Web Access automatically know that you're using Service Pack One and be able to do that? I so don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I don't know. Uh, I think there's. I, I assume there's going to be a new version of Web Access because it's got to. It's got to have to put something in. Um, there's a registration service inside of TFS which passes around lots of data about what else is installed in TFS. And in fact, um, there's a blog post kicking around. Uh, they've put some shortcut links into Web Access now, so you can actually. Um, the new version of Web Access, you can easily generate links to work items or to new work items. And you can even create new work items with template values in. So you can say, you know, you can provide somebody a link which goes to a new bug where where you've already populated the area to be your particular application, for instance. So, you know, if you wanted to give somebody a quick link to say, raise me a bug against my application and assign it to me, you can just send them that out as an email and they can just create a bug. So that's really neat. One of the things that's not really called out here much is um, I think it's covered in one like a performance area. Yeah, there we go. Number of projects per server. So um, you know there is a hard limit to the number of team projects you can have on a team server. This is something we talked about in earlier episodes, isn't it? I, th- I believe we mentioned it. Where basically it yes. all depends on on the the process template that you use to create your team project and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. So and what people people often make the mistake of creating too many team projects, don't they? You know, uh, be, because they kind of create one per solution, you know, or crazy things like that. And what they don't, what people don't realize is that, you know, there is quite a lot of overhead per team project and um, you shouldn't, you know, they should be quite big normally. One of the problems um, is that for every team project, like Mickey, like you said, Mickey, um, you've got all this process template information and, the way work item tracking works, you know when you change a drop down um and you say you might go from active to resolved, it instantly changes another drop down and gives it some different values. You know, it does that instantly. There's no there's no lag there, is there at all? The reason why that works is because they actually download a bunch of metadata 
onto the client about all those rules that you've got set up in your process template. So there, you actually have all those locally. But the problem is that, and this is where this limit on the number of team projects comes from, is that if you have lots of team projects, it's got to download all the rules for all the team projects on your server. So if you've got like 6,000 <laughs> or, or a few hundred, then it's got, it's got a, lot of, a lot of data. Not only has it got to download that data over the network, it's got to like process it in memory, you know, and handle and just handle it. So, um, one of the things that they've done in Service Pack One is they've got a feature which isn't going to be enabled by default. So it's it's important to know that. But it's going to allow you to say filter the metadata that gets sent to the client so that it only sends them stuff which is which they have access to. So if there's a thousand team projects on the server, well, they only have access to two. Uh, for instance, one of the Coplex servers, you know, there's lots of team projects on them, but you only have access to one or two uh, projects on it, then only give me the metadata for those one or two projects. And and again, for taking a project like Codeplex, that can take the amount of stuff you have to download over the network the first time you connect and the amount of stuff it has to hold in memory. It takes the size down from something like 35, 40 megabytes down to something like, you know, 600K. <laughs> it's a huge wow. difference. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. is there any kind of drawback that you can see to doing that? Because um, if there's there not a, a drawback, why not Why not implement it? Why not have it turned on by default? Yeah, so the reason why we don't have it turned on by default is um, there are applications like Team System Web Access. Um, they, uh, they download a copy of the metadata, but they download a shared copy of the metadata. So rather than downloading a copy of it for every single user that connects to TFS, they say, oh, we'll just download one copy and we'll share access to that metadata for everyone on the server, everyone that connects to my web application. Okay. And so, you know, to, yeah, which makes sense. Um, but the problem there is that, you know, if they suddenly didn't get the whole copy of the metadata but just got, you know, the copy that was relevant to the first person that happened to use that application, then the application would break. And because it's a breaking change to the API, it's no longer on by default. But what you can actually do is when you enable this feature, you can specify um, the user agents. So, you know, you, uh, the user agent string is a HTTP thing, which tells you what the client is that's talking to it. You can specify the user agents, which get excluded from the filtering. So you can you specify web access as one of the user agents which get excluded from filtering when you switch it on. And if you in your organization happen to have some other application which you wrote which talked to web access, you know, like a, another web server application which talked to web access, then you could add that in there as well and uh, and you'd be good. So uh, that's why they don't have it on by default. But it's when, when Service Pack 1 gets announced, I'll do some blog posts around this and stuff and explain how to switch it on because for a lot of people it's going to save them a lot you know it's going to save them quite a lot of time in download and speed and stuff so there we have that was was a lot of talk about work items (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah for something that doesn't have a lot of new features um yeah but that's cool stuff the the things i find are like like the build stuff um they again everything with 2008 has been great with the build the fact they opened the api let me do things now with um 2000 with the service pack one i like this thing they um where i have the ability to to uh uh build scripts that detect um how the build was triggered and then i can mm-hmm. modify how it's going to behave based on that so it's basically they call it conditionalized builds on, on the trigger so yeah. i can i can go in and programmatically work with my bills when they're when the trigger goes off for that new ci window that they have um 
or the schedule piece, you know, when when that, when they kick off, I can I can take advantage of that programmatically, which is to me really cool. Again, it's something that um, that I like to play with from the programming end. Yeah, in the past, uh, when I've needed to do so, the use case for doing that sort of thing is um, you might want a CI build to to do less than a manual build, for instance, or a scheduled build. You might want your CI builds to 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 just get a result as fast as possible, but not run the full gamut of uh, performance tests. And you know, you might not want every CI build to to produce a virtual PC with your stuff already installed in, or an ISO image. You know, all these sorts of crazy things you can do. Um, but you might want that to happen on your scheduled or your manual builds. And in the past, I've used like naming conventions for my build definitions. So I've called, you know, something, something CI, something, something nightly. And then I've hard coded something in the build script, which detect, which looked at the string of the build definition name and did a similar thing. But this is much better. This is much stronger. Right, right. I agree. Which takes me to the next one, which is detecting the test results. So again, um, now during my bills, rather than just like the build failing, one of the new features, just in case people don't know, with the build processes, one of the new features is um, by default they have this um, uh, type of failure. It's um, like uh, a, uh, I, I forget um, the name of it. Successfully, like a partial build. That's what partial partially success. successful. Yeah. Partially successful. So basically what that means is that um, for those people out there listening that don't know, if the tests fail but the project compiles – then it'll give me a partially partial success. It won't completely fail the build just because the tests fail. Well, which leads me into this detect test results. So rather than just failing to build, and we can detect what the results are of the tests, and then again conditionalize the build based on that. So again, if we're in there writing some some custom build um, scripts or or we're doing anything customizing with the build um, programmatically, we can take advantage of that piece too. Um, and and then you know do whatever we need build scripts around that or, or whatever we're building with it we can take advantage of that that uh, which is just really cool because um it kind of uh, leans on the fact that the, that API has been opened up for us to play with yeah so in in the past um, if you wanted to fail a build when a test failed you had to um, you had to do quite a complicated thing and it's um, if you're not using service pack one which lots of people won't be yet because service pack one is not going to be out for a little while then go to shrinkster.com slash ybx yankee bravo x-ray and that'll tell you how to do it currently in the in the current version of team foundation server but if um, in when service pack one comes out rather than doing this huge thing which is you know quite a lot of code in your xml and uh, cover it in some of my build talks all you have to do is set a new property called treat test failure as build failure set that to true and it does the same thing so <laughs> it, it takes lots of lines of code and hacking into like one line of code so that's great right right um anything else on the build not on the build no um some other areas i've been playing with i've been doing lots of work um so i've been installing Team Foundation Server 2008 on Windows Server 2008, uh, talking to SQL Server uh, 2008 CTP, uh, April CTP, I think it is. Okay. CTP, um, April, February? Yeah, is April CTP. Seven, no, seven February CTP it is. CTP 6 it is. The, the, the oh, April, okay. So it's February CTP. Now, um, what that... Because uh, in... If you're trying to install TFS 2008 on Windows Server 2008, it's quite a pain. And most of the pain come the pain comes in two parts. Part one is that SQL Server, installing SQL Server, um, Team Foundation Server 2008 doesn't talk to SQL Server 2008 at, at the RTM release because SQL Server 2008 wasn't around, you know, so we couldn't test it. Um, 
And so you have to install SQL Server 2005. And SQL Server 2005, getting that installed on Windows Server 2008 was quite painful, again, because of when the products had come out and when they tested them and so on. So The other problem was that uh, SharePoint 3 didn't, you know, installing that on Windows Server 2008 was quite painful as well. So what you had to do was manually install Service Pack 1 of SharePoint WSS3 and also manually install SQL Server 2005 and imply the service packs and do lots of manual hackery. And it was like the old days of TFS 2005, you know, getting that installed, how how painful that was. Exactly. Now, oh, it was just painful. With 2000, First of all, SQL Server 2008 installs really well on Windows Server 2008, as you would expect. It's very easy. And the install is great, actually. It's really, really good, really clear, really simple. And they've done, it's really usable as well. Um, Like the, the, it's quite tabbed and pages, but the, when you get the first tab contains the information which you normally have to configure, and then the second, you know, like the back tabs for every single section contain pages which I always look at, and the options tend to confuse and scare me because I don't know SQL Server that well. But normally, I just leave, you know, normally you just have to leave them at the defaults. So um, yeah, it's so much easier to install. Service Pack One of Team Foundation Server 2008 will talk to SQL Server 2008 just fine. Works just fine against it. The problem is to get things installed, you actually have to um, slipstream. Um, you have to install TFS 2008 with you know Service Pack One in it already. So you ha- um, you have to do what's called slipstreaming, where you basically apply Service Pack One into the install media of Team Foundation Server 2008 before you run the install. And there are a couple of blog posts out there at the minute, but um, I'm going to do one, and we'll talk about it when I've posted it, because um, I found that the instructions, they don't they don't tell you everything that you need to do. They tell you how to slipstream the Team Foundation Server application tier, but what they don't tell you how to do is to do the same thing for the build service and the proxy. So um, I'm going to write that up and I'll, I'll post that and I'll attach that link to these show notes or, or the next show notes. Cool. Cool. The only one I really want to mention is, the, again, they've done, they've done lots of improvements around performance and stuff. I haven't been able to test those particularly because I'm running on a virtual PC environment at the minute. And so, you know, it's not one that scales up particularly large. However... Um, you know, Microsoft have already applied a lot of these patches onto their internal, or what they call their dog food server. Um, so that's got you know millions and millions of people on, of rows, you know, of things in it. And so um, if it improves scalability on there, then I generally just believe them that it'll it'll make things faster for me. But one of the uh, things that we will use is a um, there's a new <coughs> command called tf branch slash check in, and that basically yeah. allows you to do a branch and check it in at the same time. Because quite often, when you're branching, um, currently, you do a branch and it pens all those branches as pended changes. You're never going to go, actually, no, I don't want to check in any of those. You know what I mean? You do want to do a whole branch most of the time. And so um, rather than doing all the overhead of building up pending changes for potentially like millions of files and then um, checking them in, again, potentially doing a check-in of like a million files. You can do tf branch slash check-in at the command line, and that will just do that branch there and then and commit it into the repository in one in one go. And it's it's uh, Brian says that he's seen about a 10%, a 10 times performance improvement in branch creation speeds. So that's huge. Branch is already quite fast, but it's even faster now with this. So it's great. Well, I, I just, yeah, I've always thought, you know, that whole pending and then checking in on a branch was... 
And if I'm branching, I'm branching because I want to branch and obviously I want to check in. So why do you pen the change? Yeah. And I can yeah, never exactly. understand that. But yeah. um, the other one I like is that online index rebuilding. And for most folks like myself or most small companies, that's not going to be an issue. But um, if you're talking, you know, like, again, on the on the level of, uh, you know, uh, terabytes of data, like or even pentabytes of data at some point. It's funny. I heard somebody talking about pentabyte databases the other day wow. and I was just shocked. And um, but to have all that um, to do that online index rebuilding, uh, it makes it, it again, makes my responsiveness of my uh, TFS box so much, so much better. Um, and again, just another performance increase, little things like that that just really help the day-to-day people on these rather large systems. Cool. Well, it looks like we're pushing up on how long we wanted to record this podcast. So there's a lot of great things. We've covered most of them as far as talking about them in in TFS SP1. But go check out Brian's blog post. Um, Like Martin recommended, install this in a a VM or a non-production environment. Check it out for yourself. See what you think because the service pack is coming. So the, the more prepared you are, the better you can take advantage of all the good things that are in it. So I want to thank Martin and Paul. Martin, do you have anything last things you'd like to say? Uh, good luck with your talk at TechEd there, Mickey. Thank you. What about you, uh-huh. Paul? Um, no, all I have to say is good luck, Mickey, with your talk. And again, if uh, anybody wants to email us, um, I don't know that we've said anything yet, but you feel free to email us at radiotfs um, at gmail.com. We would love to field your questions, your comments, and any feedback you have on our show or any um, upcoming topics you'd like us to talk about. So again, RadioTFS.com. Also, there is a, a, a Facebook group, Radio TFS. Come join that as well. Well, on behalf of Martin and Paul, I want to thank you again for listening, joining us on this particular podcast, and we'll see you at the next one.